When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 277, and today we are talking about books being released on September 15th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, Okay, enough about that. Let's talk about the kitten. All right, let's talk kitten. I got a kitten. He is adorable. (laughs) His name is Jin, and I love him. He's the teeniest little peanut. He's so (laughs) tiny. He's five weeks old. And that's really little. Um, we got him from a shelter. He didn't have any litter mates, so he needed a nice loving home, which he now has. So, yeah, he's a spitfire. That's awesome. I would be concerned if I got a kitten that small that I might just eat it with joy. <laughs> be like, I'm going to put this in my mouth because carry it around because I'm oh, so happy. He's so little. I'm always afraid that I'm going to step on him. And his favorite place to play is the stairs. And so we're always like, Jen, oh, no. be careful, be careful. And we, yeah. yeah, we always do a kitty check when we come up and down the steps because <laughs> he's yeah. just so tiny. And but he's very proud of himself. He's figured out the steps very well. And my partner has gotten us a, like a toddler playpen to put him in when we just want to like contain him because he's so little. And we've actually thought about getting like a little cat collar and a bell, but I don't think we could find a cat collar and a bell small enough for him. Uh, yeah, but like a couple more weeks, you know, he's going to be bigger. And a few months from now, you're going to be like, how did he get this big so fast? Exactly. <laughs> they, they grew up so quickly. Orange cats get so big. Yes, we have one, uh, an adult orange cat, and he's he's got a good frame on him. <laughs> yeah, th- like I just I look at the boys sometimes, and I'm like, how are you twice the size of Malay? They're just like boom, boom, boom. They, they My boyfriend huge. sleeps in the bedroom because he goes to bed before me. He sleeps in the bedroom with like the fan on, the AC on. He sleep. It's really hard to wake him up. And the other night, Baroque jumped off the fridge like straight onto the floor. And it was so loud that he came out. He's like, what happened? What was that? What was that noise? And I was like, that was the cat trying to go through the floor. I just like, he's, because he's almost 17 pounds. And he was just like, boom. It actually woke him up. We were laughing about it forever because nothing wakes him up. (laughs) They, yeah, especially when they start jumping and like hurtling their ginormous body weight around. I'm always like, oh my goodness. Like, you're going to do some damage. Calm down. Yep. Yep. They're fun though. We they love them, are. even though they run our lives and destroy all our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the day that the kitten figures out how to climb the bookshelves, because that's going to be yeah. a dangerous day. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet when that day comes. Yeah, I basically had to, like, adjust everything, all the furniture, all the shelving in the house, like, for the cats, so that it's either that they don't pull it down on themselves, or they don't 
fall down onto me because if you remember last year one of them oh, landed yes. on my face <laughs> so now there are no there's nothing around the couch that they can climb up on and drop onto my head so it's like a learning process yes <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it when it's not yeah they're so funny they're so sweet though they're cute and when they curl up on your lap and they're just purring away it's like this is perfect yep it's true they both like to purr which is nice So, all right, cat talk. So we can check that (laughs) off our, you know, all the books bingo card. And now a word from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book, titled The Dare, is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Okay, now we can check that off our All the Books bingo card. Uh, And I'm going to start talking about books. Do it. You know, my other favorite thing besides cats. Uh, My first pick today is a highly anticipated book. It is Piranesi by Susanna Clark. And it's so good. Susanna Clark is the author of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, uh, which if you haven't seen the, if you've read it or like haven't read it or just want to watch the adaptation, I loved the, the I think it was on Showtime. I can't remember, but I loved the, the television adaptation that the BBC did recently. And Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell is like super huge cult following came out, you know, I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Piranesi is not related to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Uh, I know that Susanna Clark has said that she was going to write a follow-up to that book, but I also know that she has some health issues that, that keeps her from writing, and it's very hard for her. So um, we're just excited to have this book. It is uh, only 272 pages, 
And if you are expecting something like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, you will be sorely disappointed. And I don't think that I've read a book before where I mean this more than any other time. The best thing about this book is to know nothing about it. Like, I'm just going to say that. Like, just start it and you're going to read it and be like, what is happening? And you just have to trust that Susanna Clark is going to get you to the end. But because this is a show where we talk about books, I'm now going to give you a heads up that I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. So if you don't want to know, skip ahead a few minutes. And I'm not going to give away that much, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And even this much is a lot. So ready? Okay. This book is about someone. It opens with someone we know named Piranesi. He's living in this world that is like marble statues all over the place and staircases going up and down and the moon comes up and the moon goes down and the water rises in his world and then goes out and there's suns and moons everywhere and you're like what what is happening basically it sounds like someplace where jared the goblin king would summer like he would take his vacations there and it's like a, a sort of like mc escher kind of place and so we have Piranesi. He lives there alone, for the most part. We know that in his world, there is someone else that he refers to as the Other. And every two weeks, he visits with the Other, and he helps him with his research. And in the beginning of the book, Piranesi sees a bird, which is unusual. But he's also experiencing some scraps of memories. And then he finds some clues that there might be another person in this world. And, like, I've already said too much. I'm not going to say anymore. It is wild from beginning to end. I mean, so like you just start reading it and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to go with it because that's all you can do. And after I read this book, I looked up the word Piranesi because I didn't know what it was. And he was an Italian painter. And just by reading about him, it's kind of a spoiler. So I would wait until you've read the book until you look him up. And I will also now give you my description of this book, which is also very spoilery. So again, jump ahead. It's like if Memento and the Magus had a baby. And then that baby was raised by Cersei, by Madeline Miller, and Cersei read the baby, The Starless Sea, by Aaron Morgenstern every night. That's like a pretty accurate description. But like I said, it's wild, and it's best if you don't know much about it. So you've probably skipped to this part. So there, we're all done talking about it. I'm curious to know if people who, like, what people think of it if they have not read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, like, if this is like their first experience with Susanna Clark, like how they feel about it. And if it's going to be different than, like, people who are like, I love her stuff. Uh, but it's so weird and fun and interesting and original. So that is Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which I just totally spoiled for Tirza. Like, you had no choice <laughs> in the matter. I just discussed it and you had to listen to it. So sorry about that. It's kind of an occupational hazard, I think, when you <laughs> become so enmeshed in, like, the bookish world. And I realized this when I first started working as a bookseller because customers would just, like, spoil things for me, thinking that, like, oh, you work in a bookstore. You know all the things about all the books. <laughs> exactly. And I just kind of had to, like, roll with it. So that's okay. Um, and all actually, right. I have never read Susanna Clark, so I should pick up one or both of these books because... I just know that they're very well beloved. This is the smaller of the two. <laughs> it is. There are well, there is a story collection too. So Okay. Good. So there's there's ways to start. Yeah. 
All right. So my first pick is another kind of hotly, highly anticipated read for the fall, and it's Watch Over Me by Nina LaCour. And this is her first book since she won the Prince Award with We Are Okay. Um, It is gorgeous. It is, if you like the book We Are Okay, like, because she's written quite a few books now, and I think they do kind of have a little bit of variation in style, just slightly. I mean, it's still very much like reading a Nina LaCour book, but I think Watch Over Me is a little bit more closer to We Are Okay in tone. And so it is about a teenage girl named Myla who has just turned 18, and she has just aged out of the foster care system. She's just graduated from high school, and for like the last three years, she's been with a really great foster you know couple parents and they're very nice she has no complaints about them but like they never really clicked and when she has turned 18 they don't really ask her to stay because they're expecting a baby and so she kind of doesn't really hold this against them too much but she's very aware how like adrift in the world she is and how she doesn't really have um you know people that she can go to or somebody to watch over her. So she reads this newspaper article about a farm in Northern California, like way out in the middle of nowhere, rural along the coast. And this farm is owned by a couple who are foster parents to like over 40 children over the years. And they have this big farm where they have, you know, at any given time between like, you know, five to 10 foster kids. And then they also have interns who are kids who've aged out of the foster care system and they kind of stick on, stick around the farm. They help out, they help out with the kids, they help out at the farmer's market and they have like their own little cabin and they get like a stipend and that's like all Milo wants to do. And so she does, she gets the, the internship there and she's overjoyed. What I kind of love about this book is that at the very beginning, like there are ghosts and she arrives on the farm and they're just kind of like, oh, by the way, there are ghosts here. And Mila's like, all right. And most of the people can see them. Some of them can't. But the ghosts just are mostly pretty innocuous. Like they frolic in the fields and you can see them at night. And each person kind of, I guess, associates with a ghost. Like a ghost may follow one person around more than the other. And so... What ends up happening is Myla seeing these ghosts really forces her to confront her own ghosts of the past and how she ended up in the foster care system. So she has this story that you see through flashbacks um, where she was brought up by a single mom. She had like a really great childhood for like the first 12 or 13 years of her life. She lived with her mom and her grandparents. And then her mom had a bad boyfriend who ended up taking them away. And you don't quite know what ends up happening. Um, You just know that sometime between her mom getting together with this bad boyfriend, Myla ends up in foster care. So this is just a really lovely, heartfelt, um, sort of ghostly, but not scary book about you know, really owning your past and also facing the past and being brave enough to face your ghost and figuring out how to move forward. So I just thought it was lovely and a really great follow up to We Are Okay. I'm a huge Nina LaCour fan anyway, but this was just another excellent, excellent read that I'm so excited to recommend. So that is Watch Over Me by Nina LaCour. 
Well, if you are a big Nina LaCour fan, then you will be excited to know that yesterday they announced uh, two new books that, that Nina LaCour will be doing uh, adult novels, I believe, with Flatiron. So that's exciting. They sound really good. I know. I squealed when I you shared the deal announcement, I think, on our Slack. And I was like, oh, my goodness, yes. So I'm excited. I love it because Publishers Marketplace has started adding like a button so you can just save the screenshot <gasps> of the deal instead of like trying to take a screenshot because I inevitably like don't grab the whole thing the first time or like get the wrong thing or something when I'm trying to do it. So now I'm just like button. Yay. And it saves it for you. That's very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so many authors want to share them like on social media. So it's like a great way to do it. Exactly. So it's very exciting. My next pick is very exciting. It is Legend Born by Tracy Dion. And it is a contemporary retelling of the Arthurian legend. Now, I have to tell you that I have very little experience with King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table other than Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I can recite forward and backwards, and the Mary Stewart books and the Sword in the Stone movie, like the cartoon from the 60s from Disney. That's pretty much all I know of King Arthur. Also, can we just talk about the Sword in the Stone for like one second? Like I watched all the Disney movies as a child and like I watched Bambi, I watched Dumbo, but nothing makes me cry like... When Wart turns back into a human and leaves that little squirrel girl on the branch. I still cry just thinking about it. She cries. She's like, it's traumatizing. You're probably all remembering right now. Anyway, I was just thinking of that while I was talking about Sword in the Stone because I want to cry just even talking about it. Anyway, back to the book. So it's a contemporary retelling of the Arthurian legend. And it's about a young girl named Bree. She is a 16-year-old black girl living in the South. She is brilliant. She has an awesome best friend named Alice. But at the beginning of the book, she has just lost her mother in a car accident. There has been a hit and run. Her mother has died and she's at the hospital and she's trying to process this. And what we know is that both Alice and Bree applied to this program at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is also the college her mother attended um, for high schoolers. It's like this sort of like early, not admission, but like early classes for the best and brightest high schoolers. And she was accepted. And when she tells her mother this, she thinks her mother's going to be excited because she did it without telling her she was going to. Instead, her mother is like furious at her. And then they don't have a chance to make up because her mother is killed in this car accident. And so she's really upset. And now she's like, I don't know what to do with myself. So I'm definitely going to go to the school and throw myself into work and schoolwork. And so she attends the University of North Carolina program. And the very first night that she's there, you know, most people see like parties or people studying or in the library. She sees a demon. She sees a demon attacking human energy. And then she sees someone get rid of that demon. And there's a mage. She doesn't know he's a mage at the moment on campus named Sal. And he's like, whoa, that girl just saw what was happening. And like, because not everybody can see it. And so he's like, I got to erase her memory because this is bad. And instead, it backfires. And instead of erasing the memory of the demon, he unlocks this magic in Brie. And she starts remembering, like, these certain hidden memories. She remembers things about her family. And she also remembers things about the hospital visit, like when her mother died, and things about her mother's death. And she's beginning to think, maybe that wasn't an accident. And then she also learns like about the school, because remember, this is the school where her mother went. And she learns of the legend born, which are basically like the Knights of the Round Table. And there are uh, mages and 
pages, mages and pages and squires. Oh my. Like all these different people, you know, demon slayers. It's basically like the 13 knights of the round table. Or maybe it's 12 knights of King Arthur. I can't remember. See, I only know this from Monty Python. And uh, she learns about how like this power, this magic is passed down from your ancestors. How certain people at certain ages become, you know, either like a mage or, you know, a scion or something. And it's so cool. It's so cool. It's like sort of like Buffy plus King Arthur plus a whole bunch of original stuff. It's incredible. It's fast paced. It's queer. It's fun. I loved Brie and Alice and their friendship. Like Alice is an awesome bestie. And there's also uh, Dion ties the Arthurian legend end with the history of slavery and racism in the country. And it's just, it's so great. I am really sorry that there wasn't another one for me to read immediately because this is going to be a series. But everyone is going to lose their mind over this book. It's so good. It's called Legendborn and it's by Tracy Dion. That sounds incredible. Adding it to my TBR. Yes. All right. My next pick is a sequel, and it's one that I've been really excited about. It's Three Keys by Kelly Yang, and it's the sequel to Front Desk, which is a delightful middle grade novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know it. Um, So it's a great middle grade novel about Mia Tang, who is the daughter of Chinese immigrants, and they've been in the country for a couple of years, and they've just been, you know, having horrible, horrible, horrible luck finding good jobs and, you know, making a decent living and at the beginning of front desk they've been living out of their car and they finally get this job opportunity managing a motel and it turns out though that the motel owner who is also chinese and an immigrant but is not very nice at all he takes um, complete advantage of her parents and so mia and her parents are trying to run this motel while they're being severely exploited like illegally exploited and so If you have not read Front Desk yet and you want to and you want to avoid spoilers, maybe like skip ahead because I'm going to talk about Front Desk spoilers so I can tell you about three keys. So at the end of Front Desk, Mia and her family and their network of other immigrants raise up enough money to buy the motel out from underneath the horrible, horrible owner. And at the very beginning of Three Keys, things are going really, really well. You know, business is booming. One of the weekly guests, Hank, has signed on as one of their first employees, and he's got some really great marketing ideas. Um, Mia feels kind of like, oh, her family has kind of like made it in America. Well, of course, if you know anybody who's a small business owner, or if you are a small business owner yourself, you know that just because you own your own business doesn't mean that you've always got it made. And that is something that Mia has to learn. So this book is a lot about how they've bought the motel, but now there are a lot of extra costs and there's a lot of different expectations. So certainly their lives have improved, but they also have new problems. And one of the problems that they are dealing with that they really don't have any control over is that California is going through this gubernatorial um, election cycle. And the incumbent governor is a total racist. And he is spouting a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric, which is problematic for Mia and her family. But it's also kind of bad for their business because their whole value system is on valuing immigrants and helping them and kind of coming together. And so Mia and her family struggle in work, but Mia is also starting sixth grade. And it turns out that her teacher is 
pretty racist, like to the point where she stands up in front of the entire class and tries to tell their sixth grade class that racism doesn't exist. And she's totally pro this this racist governor. And so Mia is learning how to, you know, speak up, but also she's learning about power and about how there are teachers out there who would silence her. And so she's learning how to, you know, assert her opinions and her beliefs in a way that allows her to be heard. So there's more, um, I think there's more class nuance in this book, not that there wasn't class nuance in the last book, but um, Yang continues to expand upon and explore that. Um, She also explores, you know, how to navigate daily life when politics and talk about politics play a big role, which I think we can all relate to right now, especially. And she also um, sort of gives you another angle of an immigrant experience, which is that she looks at undocumented immigrants. So, you know, Mia and her family are documented and they are realizing that even though they've struggled and they have been caught in illegal schemes and have had to really work hard to break out of that, they do realize that they have a certain amount of privilege because they are here through legal means and through legal channels with the appropriate um, paperwork that goes with that. And that allows them to do certain things that some of their friends who don't have that documentation can't do. And so Mia has to learn about that. But then she also has to learn that, you know, just because she's um, she's documented, she's really got to speak up for the people who aren't. So I thought that that was really well done. I think that, you know, this might be a little bit more overtly political than the last book. Um, and the last book was pretty political, but Again, Kelly Yang just does a really great job of introducing these concepts and talking about them and exploring them in really sort of organic ways and age-appropriate ways. So I love Three Keys. It's the sequel to Front Desk, and both are written by Kelly Yang. All right. My next pick. I'm trying to do like a lighter one these weeks because everything is heavy still. Uh, We've kind of gotten used to it, but need a little levity. Uh, So this one is called Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items by J.W. Auker. And this is a fun little book out from Quirk, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It is about cursed objects throughout history, some of which you have heard about, I'm sure, and some of which uh, you have not heard about. And Auker sort of examines all of these. So, like, you have the Hope Diamond, which is, like, this enormous, enormous diamond that is worth a gazillion dollars, but also is supposed to bring lots of bad luck. Uh, You know, he looks at King Tut's tomb, uh, you know, Howard Carter and his team, like, all the bad luck that they experienced, you know, and you're like, is it a curse or is it just coincidence, you know? Because some of it's, like, uh, the person who was in contact with this, like... First of all, let me just stop there and say, like, all this is super ghoulish that I'm going to talk about. It's all going to be really ghoulish. Uh, surprise, surprise, Liberty's being ghoulish. Um, so it's like, did that person, you know, pass away of a fever a few days after they opened the tomb? Or, you know, or like some of them are like, this man passed away 57 years later from the curse. It's like, really, did he? Are you sure? And but like, Augur doesn't fall on one side or the other. He's not like, curses are real. Cursed objects are real. But he's also not like, hmm, well, I don't know. 
So there's things like swords and statues. There's lots of statues. Like statues like where they're in a cemetery and, you know, kids dare each other to like run up and touch it. Or like maybe at night, like someone's seen the eyes glowing. And like if you go and touch the statue, like something bad's going to happen to you. There's curses involving jewelry. Um, Rudolph Valentino apparently had a ring that was that was very, very unlucky. Uh, there's dolls. He explores the Warrens, who are those paranormal investigators that lived in Connecticut, I think, who had like the Annabelle doll. He talks about books and explores like there are like museums of cursed objects, which seems like if you're going to put them all in one place, that's like a really bad place. Like, don't go in that place. But people like pay big bucks to go in and see these things. He explains if these objects actually ever existed. Like, there are stories of things that were cursed that there are no records of them. It might just be a story. Um, so, like, maybe it never happened. He also talks about some that have been debunked. Like, spoiler, there's this one about a chair that supposedly a condemned man sat in to have his last meal before he was carried off to the gallows. And he said, I curse whoever sits in this chair. And then people sat in that chair and bad things happened to them. And then... This bar where this condemned man, like, had his last meal, they've put this chair up on the wall and they tell the story. But then a few years ago, some guy went to look at the chair and he's like, yeah, people weren't making chairs uh, by machine in the 1700s. It's like, hmm, yeah, not the real chair or even a real story. But it sounds good, you know. Like, he tells you these things. Like, there's also this one about a trunk where, like, apparently this trunk is cursed and it gets passed down from family member to family member over, like, hundreds of years. And whoever puts their stuff in this trunk, like, suffers a horrible fate. And I'm thinking... Like, why would you continue to put your stuff, you know? It, it just, it seems silly to me. Like, well, this was my dad's trunk, uh, and he was eaten by a gang of raccoons. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to use it. And then, you know, it, like, why, like, why would you continue to put your stuff in this trunk? I don't know. So there's no, like, like, it might not be true. One thing I learned that I did not know is that James Dean, most everybody knows James Dean, famous movie idol, you know, was very young when he died in a car accident. He, the thing I didn't know is, I really didn't know is that he made a PSA about safe driving a few days before he, he died in a car accident where he was speeding like crazy. And the car that he crashed in disappeared. Like supposedly like they used it for some parts and then they kept the body of it. And the people who got those parts like had bad luck. And then somewhere in this road trip where they were taking the car, the remains of the car to some destination, it disappeared out of the back of this truck and no one knows where it is and there's been like all these searches for it and like every few years somebody offers like an insane amount of money like millions of dollars to anyone who can tell them where james dean's car is and no one's been able to find it like nobody knows what happened to it i had no idea that's very strange and i was like Ooh. there's also there's a market on ebay this is the part that i found most fascinating and i wish that there had been more about this People sell cursed objects on eBay, just like, you know, heart-shaped box, like Joe Hill's book where they buy a ghost in a haunted suit. People sell cursed objects. And so the author actually decides for this book that he's going to purchase a cursed object and buys like this little, like this little ceramic dog that this woman puts up for like $11 and says it belonged to her dad and it was bad luck. And so she's selling it. And like he's like, okay, he buys it. And she like, I can't remember if she like writes it to him or like says it to him over the phone where she like transfers the ownership and like says some words to like send the curse to him. It's very strange. But I want to know more about people selling cursed objects on eBay. Like, is this a racket? Like, could I take a bunch of things and sell them on eBay and say like, hey, 
um, you know, this, this, you know, toothbrush brought me a lot of bad luck for $10. It's yours. And if like, would people buy them? Like, I want to know more about this cursed object eBay thing that's going on. Um, maybe that's in the sequel. I don't know. Anyway, it's just, it's fun and interesting. And so if you like weird stories, you might find something in there that's near you. Like there, these are objects like all over the country and also all over the world. So it is called Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items by J.W. Auker. And now, another sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Cheers, what do you got? All right. So my next pick is Making Friends with Alice Dyson by Poppy Nawasu. And it is an Australian YA book that is being published here in the U.S. for the first time. And if you, I don't know, follow me at all on social media, or I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, I love Australian young adult books. I think that they are fantastic. I think they've just got a little bit of a different sensibility than what I see in the American market. And very few really great Australian YA books make their way over to the U.S. because publishing reasons that are, you know, a little bit complicated and sometimes weird. But I'm really excited to see that Making Friends with Alice Dyson is being published here. So I picked up um, this book and I blew through it in like almost a single setting. So it is about Alice Dyson, who at the very start of the book, actually before the book even begins, she is walking home from school one day to the bus um, or the train station. And she is like walking on one side of the street and this other guy who she doesn't really know very well, but she goes to school with, his name is Teddy. He's walking on the other side of the street and they're both kind of listening to music and like really spontaneously and randomly, they have like a dance off from opposite sides of the street. And it's like this really kind of funky, weird moment that, you know, Alice can't really explain why she did it. They just kind of ended up happening. And then she like runs and catches her train and she doesn't think anything more of it until the next day. 
which is when the book starts. And people are like, oh my gosh, Alice, have you seen the video of you and Teddy dancing? Like somebody recorded it and then posted it on social media and then it went viral. Like even like national news is playing it. And Alice is just like, oh my goodness, no. And she's kind of mortified and she doesn't really, you know, love the attention, um, especially since Teddy's kind of seen as like a weird and violent loner, um, even though it's all just rumors. There's no actual evidence to prove this. And then Teddy comes up to her and he's just like, oh, hey, we're friends now. And she's kind of like, no, no, we're not. Just having a weird viral dance off does not mean that we are friends. But Teddy is really persistent and he just kind of keeps showing up wherever she goes and chatting with her and hanging out with her. And she's very prickly at first, but slowly, slowly over the course of the novel, um, her defenses are kind of worn down. I do want to just make the distinction that like Teddy constantly like showing up and wanting to be Alice's friend. It's not weird or creepy in any way. He's not like stalking her. Um, he's just very in clearly in need of a friend. And he and Alice slowly over the course of this book end up having this really great friendship and it may be something more, but um, you'll have to kind of read the book to, to see how far that goes. And as Teddy and Alice become friends, you realize that Alice has really held herself sort of off to the side in her school um, life. And there's a reason for that. And you slowly get to see like what her home life is like and what her aspirations are. And it was just a really lovely sort of journey. And it's not, I don't want to say it's super plot heavy. Um, it's more of a coming of age story, but a coming of age with like this very beautiful sort of unconventional friendship at the center of it. And I just really liked that they initially clicked because of this random dance off um, that went viral. I feel like that's very 21st century, 2020 teens relevant. So yes, Making Friends with Alice Dyson. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to stop rambling about it now because I think you should just go pick it up. All right. So before I tell you about my last pick, I would just like to let you know that uh, what you won't hear is that Tears' dog has paid us some visits. <laughs> there have been some happy little nail clicks. I like I love dogs. I am too lazy to have a dog myself, so you know, I'm super excited when the dog wants to to chat, but we won't be hearing it in the show. But just know that like the cute dog energy is out there. She made an appearance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she had things to say. She wants to be on this podcast so badly. This is not the first time she's interrupted us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh my last pick is strictly a book that I have not read at all. The one that I was going to talk about, the date got moved, so I wanted to bring this book up because I just got my hands on it and I've heard amazing things about it. It is called Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America by Maria Hinoyosa. And it says that it is... And Maria shares her intimate experience growing up Mexican-American on the south side of Chicago and documenting the existential wasteland of immigration detention camps for news outlets that often challenged her work. Uh, it says here that she is an award-winning journalist who has collaborated with the most respected networks and is known for bringing humanity to her reporting. And in this beautifully rendered memoir, she relates the history of U.S. immigration policy that has brought us to where we are today as she shares her deeply personal story. I've heard nothing but amazing things about this book. Everybody's talking about it on Instagram right now, and I'm very excited to get my hands on it. And I'm sorry that I don't have anything else to tell you about it right now, but I will let you know when I have read it 
Uh, so it looks incredible. It is Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America by Maria Hinoyosa. Awesome. So my final pick is one that I have to admit I'm not completely finished with. I started it the other night and I'm like halfway through, but it's amazing so far. It is Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson. And at the very front of my arc um, is a content warning. So I just want to read that, you know, in case you don't want to hear about this book. Um, The content warning for mentions of sexual abuse, rape, assault, child abuse, kidnapping, and addiction to opioids. Okay. So I've been a huge fan of Tiffany D. Jackson's work ever since I read Allegedly, which is her debut novel. And it is also a crime novel with a very unreliable narrator. Uh, Grown kind of reminds me of Allegedly, not because it has an unreliable narrator, but because the narration is very clearly building you up to something and you kind of have to just go along for the ride. So Grown is about Enchanted Jones, who is a 17-year-old high school student. She's a swimmer. She is a decent student. She lives in Westchester, New York, and she's one of the very few Black kids in her school. Her parents moved her family out to Westchester because they wanted better opportunities for them. But her parents are definitely not rich by any means. Um, They work really hard and money's always really, really thin, um, which is very difficult in some ways because she goes to school with all these really rich kids and she does all these enrichment programs with kids who never really have to worry about money. And she and her sister are constantly uh, very conscious of that. So... Enchanted wants to sing more than anything. And at the beginning of the book, she tricks her mom into taking her to an audition in Manhattan where she does not win the audition or does not move to the next round. But she catches the eye of Corey Fields, who is one of um, the biggest stars in music. And he really takes a liking to her. Um, And they sort of start communicating via text message. And while her mom and dad know that she's met him and he, you know, gives them VIP concert tickets, they don't really realize that she's also been like texting him. And so it's pretty obvious, I think, to the adult reader, and I think it would be to teen readers, too, as you were reading this book. Um, Corey is grooming Enchanted um, and it's it's subtle and it's kind of I mean it sounds kind of like ick shivers down my spine Um, but then the interesting part of this book is that the very beginning hops to the future where Enchanted wakes up in a Manhattan apartment and she's covered in blood and Corey is dead so you are getting these little snippets and flashes of that and the fallout of the crime and Enchanted's, Enchanted's role in that crime. Uh, but then you're also getting the bulk of the story starts right when she meets him. And it kind of moves back and forth in a nonlinear way. And I am absolutely hooked to the pages. Like, I have no idea where this is going. I'm really excited to see what happens next. Um, but, like, also excited and sort of like a... I'm dreading it, like in a nervous kind of heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach, because I think it's going to get worse before it's going to get better for Enchanted. Uh, I just think that Tiffany D. Jackson's a very, very good writer. She's handling this I very sensitive topics of 
you know, grooming and assault and um, abuse sensitively. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm excited to read this book as excited as anybody can be considering the subject matter. Um, But that is Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson. Okay, so those are our new books, which all sound amazing. Yes. What are you going to read next? Well, in between reading books for the show, I picked up Bent Heavens by David Cross. Daniel. Um, Daniel Cross. Excuse me. Thank you. Daniel Cross. Thank you for correcting me. And um, it is very intriguing. I I think I picked it up because somebody on our Book Riot Slack told me it was like one of the most unsettling books they've read this year. And I was like, I need an unsettling book to the spooky season. <laughs> and it is very good so far. So I'm only like maybe 80 pages into it. I kept having to set it aside so I could read books for today's show. And I can't wait to just dive in this weekend. Yeah. Just wait till you get to the end and it ruins your life. <gasps> I recommended it on the show when it came out. And since then, several people have read it and been like, the book and I, I just, and, the, whoa, and I don't think that I, like, I mentioned it, but I don't know that I did an appropriate job of, like, warning people just how intense and unsettling that book is. Yeah. Um, so get ready, Tirza, because it's coming for you. I, I think I read, like, the first 60 pages, like, getting to the part, you know, where yeah. where she starts to believe <laughs> to like borrow some language from the X Files, um, she starts to believe and and then now I'm just like, but, but where is it gonna go? Like I don't. I, this was one of those few books where I have literally no idea what's gonna happen next or where it's going, and it's exciting. But reading yeah. all the blurbs and reading what everybody says, like everyone's just like, you won't believe what's gonna happen next. And I'm like, but, <laughs> but I don't even know. So yeah, it's I'm excited but nervous. <laughs> Oh, well, just remember that I never go to bed, so when you want to talk about it, (laughs) I'll be here. I'll send you a message. (laughs) I am going to read Once I Was You, which I mentioned, by Maria Hinojosa, and then I just got my hands on Broken in the Best Possible Way, the new book from Jenny Lawson, the blogger, and I'm very excited about that because she is so, 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 so funny, and I'm extra excited because she reached out to me and asked for permission to use one of my tweets about an awkward situation I experienced once in this book. So when I got the galley, I immediately went and found it. It's in the awkwarding chapter. There I am telling my story about how I accidentally said the man liquor bong list um, instead of the man booker long list one day, and uh, yeah. So now it's going to be an infamy that I said that. Uh, So I'm excited about that. So, so many good books today. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our amazing audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. If you want to let us know something, ask us a question. You can find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H Price. Do I have to spell price? I assume everybody knows how to, how to spell it, but, you know, it's P-R-I-C-E. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy puppies and kittens!